All right. Welcome, everybody. First Timothy 6 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you're new to the community, my name is Jose, and we are on the tail end, just a couple weeks left, in a long, probably three-plus-month series called Learning to Lead. We're looking at this ancient letter that was given by a godly man, Paul, to a younger godly man, Timothy, who was helping to lead a church in a city called Ephesus, and he was hitting all sorts of challenges, and so God inspires Paul to write a letter on how to live with wisdom, and so we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 6, and um, starting at verse 2, but before I do that, why don't we uh, pray together, focus our minds on what we're about to hear. Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your generosity towards us. We thank you that this is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us, and that you sent your son as the atoning sacrifice, the one right sacrifice that would bring us into the right with you. Lord, we thank you for the giving of the Holy Spirit. If it weren't for your gracious gift of your presence in our lives, where would we be? How do we know what's right and wrong? How do we know what to do, where to go, what to say? How will we know your way, Lord Jesus, if you didn't come and give us your very spirit to lead and guide, to challenge, to protect, to empower? We thank you that you've already given us so much this morning, God, for food, for those of us who are able to eat, for transportation, for those of us who are able to easily get here, for places to sleep at night, for things to do, school and work and friends. We, have, we could go on all day, God, about your, your goodness towards us. So we want to respond. God, today we want to respond. We want to know your goodness so that we could live in your goodness and live in your way. And we confess at the outset that we're more self-centered than we even think. Lord, we confess that we're enamored with ourselves. We're obsessed with ourselves. We live for ourselves instead of you. But today we've come. Today we're here. And today our hearts are open to receive from you so that we can live more like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we've got a couple of weeks left. Uh, Today and next Sunday in First Timothy 6. And then the series ends, some of you know, Luis Palau, Lord willing, will be here on the first Sunday of February. And he will finish off this series. He's like an Apostle Paul in our day. That's not an exaggeration. And he's going to cap it off. And I don't know what he's going to say. I don't care. It's going to be amazing. And so he's going to have free reign. It'll probably be the last time he's able to preach. He has terminal cancer. He has a few months uh, left to live. And when someone knows that their time is almost done, those are the people you want to listen to. So invite 10,000 people plus more, and we want to pack out this place to ridiculous, ungodly, unsafe levels so that everyone can hear the voice of God. All right? Unless you're a fire marshal, you didn't hear any of that. All right. Now, uh, wisdom. Uh, we've been looking at wisdom. 1 Timothy 5 is all about leading in wisdom, and now we're into 1 Timothy 6. And for the last three weeks, we focused on two areas where God wants to grow you in what it means to be wise. Wisdom is simply living with skill under God. How do you live a skillful life under God's leadership? Well, we saw that we need wisdom in relationships, right? Most of our challenges are people challenges. And we need wisdom with resources. What do we do with the things that God's given us? The brain he's given us. How do we use it well? The resources, the money he's given us. And so when we look at all those things, we end up having to talk about money. Yes, I would die for this Sunday. Like, Oh, shoot, I invited my friend. No worries, no worries. Come next week, because next week we're going to talk about money. Yes! This is so good. It's, it's life-changing. Like, 
You know, I hate it when churches talk about money. Don't worry, I have no campaign, no big bill we need to pay. I'm not asking for more than we normally ask that you would give each week. So breathe deep. <sighs> okay, now let's talk about money. Why? Well, there are 2,350 verses in the Bible that have to do with money, resources, land, possessions. Money in the Bible is a common, common thing. As a matter of fact, there's twice as many verses about money in the Bible than faith and prayer combined. I want to grow in prayer. I want to grow in faith. Well, God says, read the verses about money. Evidently, it's a big deal to God. So if it comes up so much, we ought to look at it. It was important to Jesus if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what's recorded, 15% of everything Jesus says that's recorded is about money. 16 out of 38 of the parables, the wisdom sayings that Jesus teaches, 16 of 38 have to do with money and possessions. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked more about money than anything else other than the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the kingdom of God comes near to you. The reign of God, which, by the way, king Kingdom is about resources anyway. So you could almost say everything Jesus has to say somehow is going to interface you, me, and money. Now, when I say money, just a little disclaimer here. I'm not just talking about cash, liquid assets. I'm talking about what God's given you, what you have, what you wear, your mind, your ability to produce Things. I'm talking about uh, fixed assets like your car or your home. I'm talking about retirement. I'm talking about everything. I'm just going to use the word money, but it has to do with all of life. And I guarantee you want to come next week. You want to come next week because we're going to answer the second of two questions. Two questions that the Bible addresses and 1 Timothy is super clear on that are going to help us. First question, what does money do to us? That's what we need to address. That's all we're going to do today, so calm down. What does money do to you? Second question next week, what are we to do with God's money? Now, those are not the same question, but they're connected and they're both important. But we have to address the first one because what money does to us impacts what we do with money. So in order to do that, let's read 1 Timothy 6. We'll pick it up in verse 2 where Steve ended last week. It says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. And now he goes into resources. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, they are conceited. They understand nothing. And this is what he gets into about people who live this way. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, and there's the punchline to people who misunderstand the teaching of Jesus, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Uh, the, the first Timothy letter is all about contrasts. In chapter one, we've seen that he says to Timothy, there are false teachers who are pulling people away. You be a godly teacher. And pull people back. It's all about push and pull. There are waves. There are currents. And you've ever been to the beach, you know that there are two forces at play. There's the current that's slapping you towards the beach, right? Then there's the undercurrent that's pulling you away at the same time. And so in the same way, in the church, there's always going to be things pulling you towards Jesus. And even in the church, there may be people or ideas that are pulling you away. And can I just say this? Money 
And conversations and thoughts about money have the same ability to pull you towards God or pull you away. And so your ideas about money, my ideas about money are so fundamental, I think is one of the greatest uh, areas of our life that can drive me to God or cause me to abandon my faith. And if you don't believe that, I have seen people destroy their faith because of their obsession with money. Destroy their family because of their insatiable desire for more money. Destroy their values, what they believe to be true. Isn't it crazy? People, even with millions of dollars, will break the law for another dollar. Already loaded. Already have too much. And compromise what they believe to be true because money, the pull of money, is huge. So what we're going to see is two reminders this morning. This is so good. I've been waiting this, waiting for this for seven years. Seven years we've been in this church, and I've been waiting for this conversation because I think it's so fundamental to our discipleship to Jesus. Two things we're going to see this morning about money. Number one, money is a motivator. You see it here. Money is a motivator. What is your primary motivation. Why do you do what you do? You're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to go to school. Actually, you're not. Tomorrow's a holiday. Or work, maybe some of you. But this week you're going to go and you're going to do, what's the motivation? Why are you getting up in the morning and doing that? Why are you going to take the extra class to get ahead? Why are you going to work the extra hours and look at the extra opportunity? Why are you going to do well? What's the primary uh, motivation? Now, Paul doesn't pull punches about what ought to motivate us. Remember, money is not the only motivator, but it's a, it's a powerful one. Look at verse 5, when money's the motivator. People who have ro- been robbed of the truth and who think godliness is a means to financial gain. They're teachers, they sound good, but they focus, their focus isn't bringing people to God. Their focus is themselves. There were people in the church even, and he points them out, If you follow them, you don't realize their actual motivator is their personal gain. And let me tell you, we have to examine our hearts, even when it comes to faith. You know what? If you're coming and considering the claims of Jesus only because of what you think you can get out of it, be careful. We gotta, we gotta examine our hearts. Why are you gonna follow the principles? So, some people, it's just interesting to say, well, you know, I follow the principles of the Bible and generosity, this and that. People with no heart for God, but there's these, these principles in the Bible, they work, they really work. I, I run my business off of these principles, and I would dare say to you that's only half of the story. Yes, what God says is true, but it's never been God's desire for us to give us truth so we can use it to our personal gain. And the goal of life is that you be motivated by God, and that God would infect and affect your motivations, that money becomes this beautiful tool in the hands, your hands, to do good. Why do you do what you do? Now, he says here, the false teachers, what sounds good is actually off. I want to just put it bluntly. Money is never supposed to be our primary motivation. If you read the Bible, if you consider the way of Jesus, Money is a motivator. It's never supposed to be the primary motivator. And if the only reason you're working hard and struggling and, and doing what you do is to get more money. Now, I'm not going to be idealistic. Money is helpful, and it is a good goal, 
and working hard and getting reward is beautiful and is good for you and it's good for your family and it's good for the community and it's good for this world. But if you're driving motivation, if the end game is more money, you've not considered the way of Jesus clearly enough. Why? Verse 6. But here's the antithesis. You want money to be a motivator? It's not the only one. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a difference between greed, money being the primary motivator, and contentment. And what he says to the church is you and I, in a community and in a culture that has a distorted view of money, you and I can learn to get it right. And Jesus can teach us the way. And we could actually, in school and in the neighborhood and in the workforce, we could be a people who understand where money fits, use it well, and show people that if it's the driving force, it will never satisfy. The problem with money, it's like fog. On the next cloudy or foggy morning here in Portland, which is usually frequent around this time of year, I want you to do me a favor, a social experiment. I want you, when you see a foggy morning, I want you to go out and I want you to go and grab the fog. I want you to go out to your front yard when the clouds are really low. And I want you to take out your hands and I want you to grab about 12 ounces of fog right? And I want you to put it in your hands and I want you to bring it in and I want you to put it on your mantle or put it on your table and stare at the glorious fog. Grab the fog. Embrace the fog. Hold the fog. Put the fog in your house. And he's like, are you, what, are you a weirdo? I would say if money is your driving motivation, it's like you living to grab the fog. You're never going to grab it. You're going to chase. You're going to run. You're going to have it in, in your hands for a second and poof, it's gone. You can't hold the fog. So if you're driving to grab it and hold it and embrace it and keep it and, and smile at it and hug it and say, never leave me, that's, that's, a, that's a kind of a laughing stuff an example. But just change the word fog for money. If we live for it as the primary means, what's, what's the antithesis? Godliness, living the way God intended with Contentment, the word contentment means, another translation is satisfied. You can live satisfied in God. You can learn to live satisfied with who God is and how God has gifted you. You can be grateful and satisfied with where you are, even, hear me, even while you seek for more. There's nothing wrong with more. Don't hear me saying money's bad. No, 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 money's beautiful and it's a gift. It's just a terrible God. It is a God that will turn on you and destroy your life. But if the God who created all things is my goal and I'm satisfied in whatever God gives me or doesn't give me, and while I work to achieve and strive and work hard, again, they're not polar opposites. I'm not saying godliness, because the word contentment, the problem is it sounds so passive. Like, hey, man, how content are you this week? It sounds like, what's wrong with you? Do you have any drive? Especially if you're a type A person like myself. It's like, I want more, 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 faster, more, 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 right? And if you're an adrenaline junkie like I am, you're never in one sense contented. It's good, but it could get better, right? What if our heart, our mindset was like, yes, there can be improvements, and yes, I could squeeze a little bit more out of my time. I could create more. I could save more. I could invest more. All the while, I'm just, I'm satisfied that God has given me everything he's given me. And I'm satisfied that God is my father. You see, if you live for money, you'll never have enough. 
But if you live for God, you'll learn, hear me, God is enough. That's what godliness with contentment is. It's realizing that God is enough. And so, so money's great because I get hungry. Like, I'm like on a two-hour cycle. Maybe, biologically speaking, about every two hours, I'm like, what's the next meal? I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for, I live for the next meal. So having money's helpful, right? You want to you eat? As a matter of fact, the Bible also says if a person doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. In other words, God created us to produce, but hear me. He didn't create us to be obsessed with production and what we get out of it. So money is a terrible God. What's driving and motivating you? Is it money or what you can get? Again, money being uh, including the prestige you get from your great career. All those things. Or is God? Is the goal to have more so you could spend more, experience more, uh, even give more? God wants to us to learn to live with contentment, which is exactly the teaching of Jesus. Paul doesn't make this stuff up. As a matter of fact, he said earlier, anyone who doesn't teach the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to watch out because they have a selfish motivation. Look at Jesus' motivating factor. Matthew 6, verse 25 says, Therefore, Jesus speaking, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat or drink, don't worry about your body. What you're going to wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. And then he goes into a little example, which seems like childish, but it's really helpful. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than, than they? Uh, if you've been to my house, you know, like in our living room, we have a sliding glass door out to the backyard. And there are these hedges that are really tall. So I don't see the neighbors. I just see hedges. And... We have these birds. I'm going to call them blue jays because I actually don't know what they are, but they're blue. Are there other blue birds than blue jays? I don't know. Don't, don't correct me. They're blue jays, right? And so assume I have these blue birds or these blue jays. They, they, they dive into the hedge. So I'll be sitting there having coffee in the morning, whatever, and then they just dart right in, like full on, no slow down, no like glide. They dart in there. And they usually have, depending on the season, like they'll have some branches in their beak and they, they know how to find our hedge every year. They come back. And in the springtime, I think, or whenever it is, uh, we'll hear chirping in the morning. Oh, look, the little, the little, little jays, you know, they're out there. And then, and then the beautiful thing is in our backyard, there's some grass. And there's all sorts, you get close to the grass, there's all sorts of gunky thing in the grass. There are bugs in the grass, there are worms in the grass. There's also stuff that I don't like to hang out with. And, but, the, but the blue jays know in our grass, they can just dive down and they'll go down. You see, like, pick death. And it goes up. And they feed the little blue jays and they dart in and uh, you don't see them in the hedge, but they're there. And this is so reminiscent of what Jesus has to say. This is so funny. I get stressed about the day and God lovingly sends worms to our grass to feed the blue jays. And, and the blue jays, they don't have a master plan. They're not like deep thinkers. They didn't go to Blue Jay University. They haven't, they haven't studied the art and science of worm, you know, attraction. And they just, they just go out. Now, here's the fun part. They don't sit in their nest saying, chirp, chirp, feed me, oh God in heaven. No, they have wings and they, got, they have a little brain, small. But it goes out and it finds stuff, right? And they get it. And God cares about them. And so guess what? They do this every year. They're like, they come and they go and they come and they go. And God feeds them. And, and Jesus gives us a contrast. You think you're smarter than the birds or the alpacas 
or the rhinos or everything else. You and I, we think we're smarter than those animals. And you know what Jesus says is they get the secret to contentment and satisfaction. God brings them all that they need. And they're able to go out and do their part, but God provides the natural things for them to enjoy their life. And can I just tell you, God feeds you. Your job doesn't feed you. Your paycheck doesn't feed you. God provides all these beautiful things. But sometimes we forget and we think by worrying we could add value to our life. And so we're obsessed with what we don't have instead of remembering what we do have. And you know what Jesus in the end says? Look at what he says. Continue the verses. So don't worry saying, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear for the pagans. Hello, pagans. Now, don't, that's not like a social derogatory, you know, like uh, growing up in, in the neighborhood, those Italians and Puerto Ricans, oh, the Puerto Ricans, I'm one of them. But like, that's like a negative term when it's, I think it's an amazing term. Puerto Rico's fantastic. I hope to go there this summer. But it's like, oh, looking down. The pagans, Jesus says, those who don't have relationship with God, that's what the pagans were. Those who don't know God, they're the ones who run after these things, they chase after them. And... Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So the disclaimer is the reason why money is a terrible motivator is because God is the one wanting to feed you. And when I put money or anything above seeking God, I get things out of whack. My life is stressed. Hear me, God's never stressed out. <laughs> never. He rules it all. He knows it all. But look at the verse 33. It said, seek first his kingdom, seek God and his righteousness, that is living in the right relationship with him. And all these other things, the clothes, the food, all that stuff, is going to be given to you as well. So those who don't know God, hear me, have no other choice than to look to themselves to find the secret to life. If you don't know God, what, what option do you have? You. So those who don't know God make money or whatever, esteem, you know, uh, some sort of accolades, personal fulfillment, whatever it is. They take that and say, like, well, I have to achieve that in order to make life work. And God says, I'm the one who makes life work. So back to 1 Timothy 6. Here's what we, here's what we learn. Back to 1 Timothy 6. He says, for, verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing... We will be satisfied or content with that. Doesn't that sound like Matthew 6? It's exactly Matthew 6. Just put in different words. If you get food, oh, by the way, your heavenly Father knows and feeds them. If we have clothing, why are you worried about what you're going to wear? He's teaching the teaching of Jesus. And I wonder if we're just missing it because we've misunderstood contentment. Now, hear me contentment doesn't mean I sit around and do nothing saying, God, drop money from the sky. No. The birds understand he's given them wings and beaks and drive like hunger pain for their kids. That's a beautiful thing. But contentment is being satisfied in God's loving care over your life. Do you know God cares for you? Do you know when you worry about bills, God in heaven is saying, oh, son, daughter, I know that's big. And that's, yeah, those zeros are all left of the point. They're big, they're big, they're very big, right? But you know what? I'm bigger than that. And I actually care about you. And I've got a way 
just like he provides worms and other things for the birds. I've got ways to take care of that for you. And here's, here's a challenge. This is why in the real world this is hard. We live in a culture that is dissatisfied, right? As a matter of fact, if you take the teaching of Jesus literally, you're going to be a terrible manager in that, you know, being contented. You, you just tell your upper management, hey, we did well this year. I think we're fine. I think we're fine. We're, no, we're, we're kind of like, we're in a season of our, of our department where we just want to be. We want less doing, more, more being. The word is fired. You will be fired. So we live in a culture that is driven by production. And hear me. Put in its proper place, trying to get the most out of every employee, not squeezing the, the juice out of the lemon, but take every employee and maximize their potential to make the most of every opportunity, to make the most of every market space. All of those things are, are good. They're not bad. As a matter of fact, producing more and doing more with your life is blessing. It's like seed sowing. You sow a seed, you want to get a crop that's 100, not one, right? You want to get more. Nothing wrong with that. But when that's the ultimate end game, we live in a culture that says it is the ultimate end game. Market share, corporate profit, or whatever, is the ultimate end game. Here's why followers of Jesus have the tension. We're going to live in a world where that's just these are the values and you better stick to them. And we have to live in that, right? But guess what? You can live in it and not have it infect you. You can be the alternative in your cutthroat workspace. You can live in such a way that in your soul, they can't sap your contentment. You can work hard. You can have drive. You can excel. We're going to look at the book of Daniel after this series. We're going to look at the book of Daniel because the life of Daniel is compelling. He works for a godless kingdom and he rises to the top. And he's uber successful and uber influential and he doesn't back down. He lives in a kingdom that doesn't believe in the one creator, God, but that system doesn't infect him. And we could be that kind of people. And the secret is contentment. Our system is built in opposition to the way of Jesus. You just need to know that. So we're not going to avoid our system. We're going to be the alternative. And the way we handle money, by the way, I think people, if they found out that you gave your money away for the good of others, would call you a freak. They probably do. So wait a minute. You got your bonus and you, you did what? Like, dude, you could have got a newer car. You could have got a, you could have, you could have, you could have. And you, you did what? You took your free time and did what? You're not so obsessed about this? And it's a way of showing that Jesus' life is better. And it's actually more life-giving. So contentment doesn't mean that we live carefree and don't do anything. It means we know where God and money fit. And if you flip it, it will flip you. Tweet that. All right, verse 9. That's actually, that was a spontaneous statement. Someone tweeted because I, I don't remember it. Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation. This is what happens. You get it wrong. They fall into the temptation and, and a trap and into, hear me, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge, I love that word, plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's not like someone else is going to destroy you. You're going to self-destruct. You make money, your God. You get, you get the balance of God and then money out of whack. You will plunge yourself into ruin. 
For, and then you've heard this before, even if you've never been to church, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We're going to look between now and the end of chapter 6. There are two groups that Paul's talking to. He's talking here to the not-so-wealthy. And then at the end of the chapter, he's going to talk to the wealthy. So this is to us who don't have it all, right? Actually, we are the wealthy. I'll get to that next week. But for those of us who feel like, oh, I'm not there yet, watch out. Remember, money itself isn't evil at all. Money's neutral. Money is neutral. But it's what I do with it that can plunge me in the direction of God or in other directions. So an unhealthy obsession with money. Again, when I say money, I mean all things, all resources. I'm, I'm going I'm to throw myself out of whack. The love of money is a root. It's a root. Now, what do you do with what do you do with what do you do with roots? Um, you have weeds in the garden, right? This is this is Oregon. Everything just grows. But the problem is with the good things that the seed for the things that you want, whether it's like vegetables or or just a tree or whatever or or a plant or a bush. You put things in. There's a opposition immediately comes up. They're called weeds, right? If you go and weed, which I don't, people do this for fun. I got a landscaper. Um, this is you, you take the weeds out. What happens? If you don't get them for the root, what happens? They show up with a vengeance. I dare you, plant a blackberry bush anywhere near your property, and you're going to find they're demonic. They're just going to come in, and they're going to take over, and you're going to chop them back, and they're going to chop you over, and they're going to bring their cousins, their friends, their enemies, and they're going to take over your world. And in the same way, if you're obsessed with money, it's like a root. No matter how much you try, well, I'll just give a little more this year. If you haven't dealt with the root problem, you're still going to find yourself out of whack. My friends, what God wants to do today is deal with the root. It's love, motivation, driving force. And if your driving force becomes God, I'm not speaking idealistically. What I am saying is we are bred in a system that has told us that things will make you. Things will keep you. Things are why you go to school. You go to school to learn something so you can get something. And that's the system we're swimming in. And then we're confronted with Jesus who says, why are you worried? I take care of birds. I take care of you. Work hard because if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But live joyfully satisfied in God who cares for you. The love of money. That was the first thing. I spent most of my time on that. The second one is a little more Obvious. Money's a motivator. Now you've got that. Secondly, money is temporary. And this is why we need Jesus. You see, the, the contrast is between money or godliness, a Godward life, with satisfaction. By the way, we're just tricked into thinking by our culture that God isn't satisfying. Yeah, I got God. I mean, like, yeah, we all have faith. We all have some sort of God. Well, uh, really nice. God ain't going to pay the bills. What I need to do is, that's, that's the driving motivation of our culture. And what we're learning as people who belong to Jesus is that that leads us on the path to ruin. But when I learn that God is my everything, and by the way, I don't get it in one day, I learn it over time. God is who I need, then I can live satisfied. Verse 7. Remind you, you brought nothing into the world. You could take nothing out of it. If you have food and clothing, we will be content with it. How many ate something this morning? Okay, great. 
Okay, I don't even have to ask the clothing question. Duh, you got clothes on. As a matter of fact, we, we, this is how twisted we are. We, we as a culture have so much stuff where we have made this charmed value. I want to simplify. Now, I'm going to mock you for a second, but I want, I want to make a point. I'm going to do this year, oh, man, this year I'm going to simplify. So we're, we're, uh, my closet's got so much stuff. Here, here's how arrogant we are. Man, look at my closet. We got so much stuff. I got so much stuff. But man, I want to live. I want to live simplified. So I, want to, I need to get rid of my stuff. Oh, I feel so much better. I have empty space in my closet. Dude, we are so flipping giddy about our ability to spend God's money that we find this, this, this value of simplification. We need it because we know the more we get, the more toxic we get. So I, and I'm making an exaggerated point. Calm down. Email me later. Get over it. I'm making an exaggerated point because we need, we need to realize how warped we are. You got food. You got clothes. We have every reason to be satisfied. We have bought the lie of our culture, which doesn't look Godward, that some other thing is going to make me happy. Um, let me give you a reality. Make for a great coffee mug. Do it. This Christmas is coming, 12 months away. Pre- prepare. You were born without money, and when you die, your money stays. That's the Jose version of these verses. You were, no, no, we had plenty of money in our family. Ha, huh, time out. Wasn't your money. Didn't come out the womb. You came in with nothing. And by the way, when you die, we'll say, well, my goal, though, my goal, because we were poor, what I want to do is I want to sacrifice my family, and I want to sacrifice my peace, I want to sacrifice my joy, because I'm going to spend my whole life so that my kids can have way more than I had. And when you're dead, they'll waste it. You think I'm kidding? Harvard study showed that most family businesses, by the third generation, the third generation is totally wasted and it's bankrupt. So don't tell me that I'm just playing the preacher game. What I'm saying is the truth. You're born without it, and when you die, it all stays here. Now, that doesn't mean you leave, live flippantly. It doesn't mean you don't save. It doesn't mean you don't come next week, people. Come next week. You get the other half of the story. What I'm talking about is heart. I'm talking about even Christians, if we don't get the heart of God, even we who love Jesus will waste our years clamoring for more money, striving for it. And realizing when we're dead, it's, it's staying here. So Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 say, say this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because God, notice the Godwardness. Because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Why can we rest easy? It's because God is there. So we can say with confidence, and then he quotes the Bible. The Lord's my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When you're looking at a stack of, I don't know what I'm going to do about this in my life, just look at, just quote the last line. What can mere mortals do to me? Well, they can throw you in jail. They can take your stuff. But they can't, they can't take your satisfaction in God. And if you live rooted in that, you'll realize money is temporary and money is amazing and money is a gift and money can be used for the greatest good. And so what I want is God, and what God gives me, he will guide me to use, and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm not saying, am I, so, so I can't use money. No, I'm just saying don't let money use you. And you will have one or the other. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, plain as day, you can't serve God and what? 
money. You can have both. You just can't serve both and find contentment. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. All right, here's the question to drive our response time. When it comes to money, what are you afraid of? Let's get real. Now, we know it's a motivator, unhealthy, but it's an option. And we know that it's temporary, and we're not going to take it with us. So now, in light of the money that we have, what are you afraid of? There's not one person in here that doesn't have a fear attributed to money. Fear that we're never going to have it. Fear that we're we're never going to grow it. Fear that we can't keep it. It's elusive. It's like grabbing the fog. But when I have God in increasing measure, when I'm growing in him, when I'm learning to follow Jesus, when I'm learning things about money that are right and true and good, and I live those out, you know what I'm going to find? I'm going to find glimpses of contentment and joy, followed by the culture screaming at me. You need more of it. And as a disciple to Jesus, I can grow in resisting that force and not let it rule over me, but rather I can take God's money. And next week we're going to look at what do we do? What do we do with God's money? And it's going to be glorious. All right. Let's leave with the question and let's let the Holy Spirit now work in our hearts. We, we craft these gatherings with more time at the end because when we hear things that are true, it confronts the strongholds in our life. And what we want to now do is as worship, we take the things that we've been taught and now we've heard truth and now we say, God, all right, I'm going your way and I don't even know how to do it. I don't know how to live free of the love of money. Here's good news. You don't have to. God will produce it in you. So we don't go for the money solution. We look to seek God. We point our attention to God. We open our lives to God. We're honest with God. And then God does the chipping away and the building up. And that's the encouraging good news. You don't fix yourself. Jesus alone saves and delivers and transforms and changes. And he wants to do it now. So why don't you stand on your feet and we're going to worship by singing. And we also have some other options uh, every week now. Some of you, you've been away for the holidays or you may be new to the church. When you're, when you're addressing something that's like, man, I need to do something about this. Whether you need money right now or you're lacking wisdom, you're struggling with an issue, whether it's physical or mental or it's a relationship. If you came in with any stuff, we want to pray because we believe that prayer changes things. That when we come to God with things, He makes a difference. And so during the singing, some of you may not know it, there's a room. It's, it's a prayer room. It's right, you have to go out this door to your right. It's right across the hall. There's signs right there. And it's nicely done. There are couches and chairs. And there's someone there now. And they're praying for you. And if you have anything going on in your world, you say, today, I want to follow Jesus. I, I never even know what this is about. I want to hear more about Jesus. You could go there. If you just need someone to agree with you because you're struggling in an area, for any reason, you could go every week. And when the singing happens, just slip out, pretend you go into the bathroom, right? Because you don't want to I need prayer. Just slip out, pretend you go, and make your way, and someone will pray for you. Let's start by praying together. Lord, we thank you that you're exposing things that are off in our culture, in our mindset, in our world, so that you can build us up. Lord, I thank you that when we woke up this morning, you were already awake feeding us. And when we go to bed at night, tonight, you're going to be there feeding us. And 
we sing these songs because we believe you're a good father who wants to give good gifts to his sons and daughters who, who ask. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come. Holy Spirit, come and confront these things we believe that aren't the most true thing with a goal that those would be removed and replaced with truth and that we can really be set free. Whoever has a son will be free and free indeed. So Jesus, free us from ourselves, we pray. Even as we sing in Jesus' name.